Oh, it's a school. So this janky audio you're hearing is just the sound of me strolling through the streets of Malacca in Malaysia. And I'm about to meet a really unique bunch of people. Oh, there was just a bike that went past. Hello. That was my first introduction to the Chetis, a mixed-race community in Malaysia. Their food and culture is a result of their unique heritage, a combination of traditional Malay culture, religious Hindu rites, and a close kinship with the Chinese. It's a heady mix of the three main cultures in Malaysia, and so, being the curious eater I was, I visited their village to learn more about the Chetis and their food. Little that I know, that first interaction, and the many that followed suit, would teach me so, so much about food and people. This is Take A Bow, the show exploring anything and everything around Asian food. I'm Lo Ijun. As you might have suspected from the intro, this episode is about the Chetis, a marginalized, multiracial group of Malaysians. As we'll learn in detail, the Chetis came about through a migration of traders from India to Malaysia around the 16th century, who assimilated themselves within the local Malaysian community. The Chetis have always been a small community, and though their numbers have grown and waned over the centuries, today, there are reportedly less than 500 of them left in Malaysia. And their culture and heritage is getting diluted with each passing generation. And that means their food might disappear too. And so, you might think that this episode is all about the Chetis, about their food and how they have this wonderful style of cooking and a range of unique flavours and dishes that you can't find anywhere else. And you might expect us to conclude the episode saying something along the lines of, oh, chetty food is such a precious piece of culinary history that we should preserve before it vanishes for good. And you're not completely wrong, because that was the story I thought I'd be telling. But I'm using the past tense here. Because after doing weeks of research on the subject, interviewing people on the grounds, visiting their community, and sharing a meal with them, I realized just how difficult it is to define food. Their food. Other people's food. And so the story I ended up telling, the one you'll be hearing for the next half hour, is a story that's very different from the one I began with. Okay, before we jump into the episode, I just have a bit of housekeeping on the podcast side of things. So some of you might have wondered, why does it take two weeks for each episode of Take A Bow to be released? After all, there are plenty of weekly or even daily podcasts out there. But Take A Bow is a solo effort. While other well-known podcasting names out there might have a whole team running the show with big marketing budgets and great technical know-how, For this show, that's just me and my little microphone. 
So really, it's a labor of love. And each episode is thoughtfully stewed and braised before it is released. And while I'm figuring out ways of making this work in the long run, at the moment, to keep the show running, I'm really relying on you, dear listener, to spread the love. So if you have a bit of time on your hands, and if you generally enjoy listening to Take A Bow, even if it makes you cringe as you listen to me crack lame jokes, do share the show around. Get your friends and family to listen to it, and leave us a review as well. I can't stress enough how powerful word of mouth can be. Okay, with that shameless self-plug out of the way, let's get on with the show. Our story begins with an introduction to the Chetty people. Because to understand Chetty food, we first need to understand how the Chetties came about and who they really are. And I'll need to spend quite a bit of time explaining this, because while it might seem like an easy question to answer, as we'll soon find out, even this simple question can be tricky. But let's start off with the most basic of definitions. Put simply, there's a general consensus out there that the Chetis are a biracial group of people, with a long ancestry with the Malays of Malaysia and the Indians from India. And the vast majority of Chetis today reside in Kampung Chetty, or Chetty Village in Malay. It's located in the state of Malacca in Malaysia. The first time I heard about the Chetis and their village was from Dr. Eric Omedo, a food anthropologist who's really fallen in love with this community, and is trying to raise awareness about the Chetis and their food. Dr. Omedo himself is a chief researcher at the National University of Malaysia. Yes, so I'm Eric Olmedo. I'm actually principal researcher. Chief sounded a bit too Apache for me. <laughs> uh, but you're right, I'm at KITA, which is the Institute of Ethnic Studies, uh, located within the University Kebangsan Malaysia, the National University of Malaysia. And uh, I'm a social anthropologist by training, and one of my areas of predilection is food anthropology. Yes, Eric is a Frenchman who's done a lot of research on food and culture across the world, not least in Malaysia, where he's resided for many decades. And he first found out about the Chetis just two years ago, completely by chance. I was introduced to the Chetis community through the Babanonias, because like uh, anybody else, when you first come to Malacca, what you see is uh, Babanonias heritage everywhere. Babanonia refers to another distinct group of biracial people in Malaysia, people of mixed Chinese descent. They're really important in our story, and they have close ties with the Chetis. We'll come back to them in a bit. But first, back to Eric. Uh, so um, uh, one of my Bamanyona's friends and colleague uh, brought me to uh, the Bamanyona Heritage Museum. She organized a workshop in Melaka about uh, Panakan heritage. And uh, there was members of other communities, including the Chetis, and that's how I was uh, introduced. And then the next step was to, to visit Kampong Chetty, and uh, uh, I was quite mesmerized by the tale that was uh, sharing with me at the time about the Chetty community. You'll notice another term that Eric used here, Peranakan. Now, I know it's a lot of terminology within the first five minutes, but for the global listener, I do need to clarify something about the term Peranakan. Because the Chetis are sometimes referred to as Peranakan Indians or Peranakan Hindus. And this is a cause for some confusion. 
Because in Malaysia, to most Malaysians, and to me as well for most of my life, the term Peranakan is often used to refer specifically to people of mixed Chinese descent, the Peranakan Chinese. And in Malacca, the same place where the Chetis came from, these Peranakan Chinese are sometimes known as Baba Nyonyas, the term that Eric first referred to. Because in some people's mind, when you utter the word Peranakan, uh, they straight away imagine Peranakan Chinese, you know, which is not surprising because it's really uh, over-promoted by uh, both the Ministry of Tourism and, you know, the Malacca municipality. And while the Peranakan Chinese might be the most well-known group of Peranakan people, in anthropology, the term is used in a much broader sense. Peranakan is a kind of a broader category, which uh, in anthropology we call uh, you know, uh, creolized communities. And uh, so within the Peranakan in Malaysia, and I'm talking about Malaysia only because there are also Peranakans within the whole Malay archipelago, but for Malaysia, then we have mainly three is uh, the Peranakan Chinese, of course. And then you have the Jawi Peranakan. So this one is a bit more tricky because the Jawi comprise of Peranakans from Arab descent, from the forefathers, which is very, very small, you know. And uh, they, they do not uh, appear in the census anymore. And then you have the third one that interests us today, which are the uh, Peranakan Indians. Uh, they're Hindu. Sometimes they call themselves Hindu Peranakan. And so they are dispersed all over Malaysia and Singapore. But the, the core of their community is located in uh, Kampong Chetty, uh, Chetty village in the outskirts of, uh, of Malacca. Now, you might be wondering, why is there so much mixing of races and cultures in Malaysia that created all these mixed-race Peranakans? Isn't Malaysia just filled with Malaysians? If you think about it, this mixing of race and culture happens all throughout the world. And a lot of it was a result of colonialism. Just like how there are Creole communities in the Caribbean and in American states like Louisiana and Mississippi, a similar thing happened in Malaysia. Only it's a lot more complicated. Because since the 15th century, Malaysia, and especially the port of Malacca where the Chetis are from, was a bustling hub of trade and commerce. There's even a famous quote by Tomé Pérez, a Portuguese apothecary who lived some 500 years ago. He stated, and I quote, whoever is lord of Malacca has his hand on the throat of Venice, end quote. That was how big and powerful Malacca was at the time. And so because of this, there were all these traders and powers from different parts of Europe, China, the Middle East, and India that came over to Malacca with the hopes of getting rich. And many of them ended up staying and assimilating themselves into the local community. You can even see remnants of all these different cultures in Malacca's buildings and architecture. And so, with all these different races and cultures mingling, and with generations of intermarriage, Malacca and Malaysia as a whole, is now home to many subgroups and subcultures. And the Chetis are one of them. They came about through Indian traders who landed and stayed in Malacca. So, now we have a bit of an inkling as to who the Chetis are. But remember what I said, it isn't so straightforward. That's because although the Chetis were largely considered to have originated from Indian traders settling in Malacca, 
The Chetis of today have very little connection with the Indian subcontinent at all. To understand more, let's head to the Chetty village. I travelled to Chetty village, or Kampong Chetty, with Eric. And he was the one who introduced me to the community. We strolled around the neighbourhood and met with a key figure in the village, Vanilla Nadarajan, the wife of the late leader and gatekeeper of Kampong Chetty. Since her husband's death, Vanilla has been the one pushing for better representation for the Chetis on many fronts. I managed to chat with Vanilla in her house, and she was gracious enough to tell me about her story and her people. And I have to warn you, we were recording this interview in her front patio, so you might hear some sounds of her kids running in the background. My name is Vanilla. I am 39 years old. I'm one of the community in Kampung Ceti Gajabirang. Mm, what is what is Kampung Ceti? The Chiti people, they are traders who came from India. They settled down in Malacca and they are married to local women in Malacca. So the local women, maybe they are Javanese, maybe they are Malay, maybe they are Batanese. We, we cannot trace that. Uh, so the influence of the culture from the Malay is more than the Indian, but the religion still Hindu. So this ties into what we've been saying, that in the beginning, the Chetty ancestry came from Indian traders and sailors who travelled to Malaysia around the 16th century. The traders at the time were mostly men, and it's said that many of them married the local woman in Malacca. And in staying with the locals, the Chetis took on more and more Malay customs. But over the centuries, the one thing that they've largely maintained is their religion, Hinduism. Now, this is important because it was in stark contrast with the local Malay religion at the time, Islam. I know, we first introduced race and now there's an extra layer of complexity with religion. And the Chetis might seem like a confusing bunch of people to understand. And trust me, you're not the first to think this. Vanilla has had to introduce herself and her heritage to many people. And so she's quite used to getting all these expressions of shock and confusion. They just surprised because we look like Indian, but can't speak Tamil. And then we use the uh, something in our forehead to make our identity we are Hindu. Yeah, it's a potu in Tamil. Yeah, that's why uh, the influence of the food, the costume, and the language these three big influence from the mother's side. Because they speak in Malay, uh, they eat food mostly like a Malay food, then they are wearing kebaya, it's a Malay, Malay traditional costume. But they are still Hindu, they are named their kids with the Hindu's name. But when you look to the people, like you will, it's so weird. <laughs> it doesn't look like Indian, even when someone try to talk in Tamil, we can answer. See, it's tricky. Yes, the Chetis have adopted many Malay customs, but they still practice Hinduism. But because of this cultural assimilation with the Malay community, 
They don't speak any Indian dialects like Tamil or Hindi, dialects that are most commonly spoken by the Hindus. Instead, their mother tongue is Malay, the primary language of Malaysia. And here's where I thought I finally got a good grasp of the Chetis, but Vanilla goes on. They're still using the Malay language, uh, only thing the religion different. After when modernized nowadays, they find out people from outside, then they made it with the Indian. So if the mother Indian, she will teach the kids with the Tamil language. So nowadays the Chiti can speak Tamil. Yeah. Oh, so there's been kind of like a change. And then I saw some of your family photographs, like some of your uh, relatives married into Chinese or like Baba families. So then it's very, very complicated. And yeah. Yeah, Roja. Yeah, very yeah. Roja. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like. If you're wondering, the term Roja here refers to a dish in Malaysia that's basically a combination of seemingly random fruits and vegetables tossed together with a black shrimp paste sauce and sometimes a bit of crushed peanuts as well. But the term rojat here is also an endearing way to describe a mixed bag of things. And so nowadays, the Chetty community is becoming more rojat, more mixed. And that's because, like Vanilla explained, the latest generation of Chetis have married into Indian families and some even Chinese families. And so some of the youngest Chetis are able to speak Tamil, unlike their parents. And some of them the ones who married into Chinese families can even speak Mandarin and practice a combination of Hinduism, Buddhism, and sometimes even Catholicism. And so what it means to be a Chetty has morphed further, adding yet more layers of complexity here. Wunela's family is actually a prime example of this. Like, like, like my family, uh, my, my late husband married me. I am Indian from Indonesia, but when I married with the Chetty, it's a bit similar to me because I also cannot speak Tamil. My mother tongue is Bahasa Indonesia. And then our food also almost like their food. And then my second brother-in-law married with the Indian from Malaysia. And then my sister-in-law, she married with the Chetty. Chetty man. The last brother, she, he married with the Chinese. So my niece can speak Chinese. She totally look like Chinese <laughs> because my mother-in-law is also Chinese. Uh, she totally look like Chinese, but the name is Indian. Oh. So it's really weird. You see, if you see my family, my first daughter look like Malay. My second look like me, Indian. My son look like Chinese. <laughs> so it's really roja, yeah. And so with each generation, with the Chetis becoming more and more roja, the number of people who fully identify as Chetty continues to dwindle. That's why today, they really only number in the hundreds. Uh, the number of the Chetis is not so many. It's, I think if this village less than 200, because they moved to Singapore, they moved to KL, uh, few also outside, I mean uh, international, lah. they go to outside, married with their people from there, and... I think they are really a small community. So, while we did begin with a rough definition of the Chetis, that they're this biracial demographic of Indians who assimilated into Malay culture, modern Chetis have expanded beyond this definition. And as the Chetis continue to assimilate themselves into other cultures and other races, it's only going to get trickier to define them. So, might sound frustrating that after listening for the past 15 minutes, 
we haven't really arrived at a straightforward definition of the chetis. I know, as human beings, it's only natural to want to look for a simple way to define and categorize a group of people, right? Whether they're chetis or Indians or even Asians as a whole. But maybe that is the lesson here, that we shouldn't be fitting people into a box. And as our world gets more connected, as race and culture gets even more entangled, it's only going to get more difficult to fit people into neat categories, to define them by race or culture. Not to mention all the ethical and racial issues that might come with that. And this goes beyond the chetis. After all, depending on our upbringing, the country we grew in, the different religion we're exposed to, we can end up very different from one another, despite being of the same race or skin colour. But now, with this understanding of the chetis, let's look at their food. This is a food podcast after all. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten that. So, with all these cultural influences, I thought, there must be something really special about Chetty food. Some amazing dish that they have that's kind of like a love child between Indian and Malay and even Chinese cuisine. Maybe they have something in their food that doesn't exist in any other culture. And so, meeting Eric and Vanilla and visiting Kampung Chetty, I had one burning question in my mind. What is Chetty food? Lucky for me, during my visit to Vanilla's home, she cooked this lavish spread of curries and fish stews and stir-fried vegetables and rice, and she had a whole meal with us. It was such great food. The curries had just the right amount of spicy and sweet and sour tang to it. The nasi ulam herbed rice was really fresh and fragrant, and everything tasted somewhat familiar, but also different. And there was this one standout dish. Sambal Talo Belimbing. It's essentially a fish roe curry made with the eggs of this one specific fish called ikan parang, or the dorab wolf herring. And the roe of this fish is stewed in this spicy curry base and finished off with a bit of local star fruit they call belimbing bulu, which Vanilla had growing in her backyard. Even Eric was blown away by this dish when he first had it. One particular dish that really uh, won me over and that really struck me, it was this uh, Zambartalo Belimbing, uh, which we could call a fish raw curry uh, in English. It's a mild curry uh, whose main ingredient is a fish raw, but not any fish, is uh, the ikan parang. And uh, Wenila is very particular about cooking with the fish eggs from that particular fish. And why? Because of texture. So they have the right size and texture to be a bit crunchy on the tongue. If not, you will have a kind of mushy, mushy curry, which is not very appetizing. Now, to my knowledge and to Eric's knowledge as well, this is a truly unique chetty dish. You can't find it anywhere else. And so I spoke to Vanilla about it and tried to find out where this dish came from. The sambal telur blimbing, they call it sambal, but it's not doesn't look like sambal. That one is uh, the fish roe. We use the ikan parang fish roe and belimbing bulu uh, and small shrimp. So the ingredient is like onion, garlic, ginger and uh, serai, lemongrass. Lah. We use a lot of lemongrass. And you just boil up. You just put everything in the bowl 
and heat up. But it takes quite a long time to make that dish because must really pekat, you know, must really thick, yeah. The way you put it, right, it sounds like such an easy thing to do. You just put everything in a in a pot. But then you d- don't see it elsewhere outside of uh, this kampung jati here. So it was taught to you by your uh, by Sita, uh, but before that was her grandmother's recipe as well. Oh, just for context, Sita or Auntie Sita is one of Vanilla's in-laws, and she's the one who taught Vanilla how to cook this dish. So this this recipe like turun temurun, you know, the grandmother passed from she she get from her grandmother, maybe from her mother, and then goes to now goes to us lah. So it's really it's really family recipe, and we we doesn't want to create a new uh, recipe we just maintain it like okay you must put this don't tokok tamba you know don't put other thing is not supposed to go then we just maintain yeah i hope this is a really like a uh, family secret recipe lah mm. yeah yeah <laughs> but but you just told us how it's made so the secret bocor already <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he doesn't know how much the ingredients. Ah, uh, <laughs> So this sambal telo belimbing is a truly special dish, passed down from generations prior. Despite that, this seemed like the only dish in the whole gamut of Chetty cuisine that seemed unique to them. The rest of Chetty food were very similar to other cuisines out there, and Vanilla agrees too. After all, the Chetty's culinary repertoire includes dishes like Indian dosas and putus, pindang stews that were really similar to those you can find in Indonesia. They make nasi lemak, which is the national dish of Malaysia, which literally everyone of all races cook and eat. And they also make traditional Malay or babanyonya desserts like pulut tekan and onde-onde. And that last one, onde-onde, is truly one of my favourite Malaysian desserts. It's literally a little glutinous rice bowl that is just bursting with the sweet, smoky syrup. So anyway, we can see that a lot of chetty dishes are directly lifted from other cuisines. And it's really hard to pinpoint what exactly makes chetty food so different. I asked Vanilla to help me understand. And here's how she describes her food. The chetty food is really unique because um, the ingredient is a local ingredient like serai, halia, lengkuas. It's a local, that's why I said local, local ingredient and mostly with coconut milk. Hmm. Okay, so chetty food uses a lot of local ingredients like serai, which is lemongrass, halia, which is ginger, and lengkuas, which is galangal. And also a lot of coconut milk. But those ingredients are common in many cuisines across Southeast Asia. They aren't unique to the chetis. So, is there something else that makes chetty food unique? I had this discussion with Dr. Eric Omedo too. In my head, right, when it comes to the chetty food, the things that vanilla cooked a lot of them like looked similar to a lot of the baba nyonya food that you've had, curries. It looks similar. Yeah, but overall, I would say that, I don't know why, but the flavors just tasted a lot more, a lot fresher. Is that like a, do you think that is like a, the marked difference 
of chatty food compared to Peranakan or Indian or Muslim food? Or is there something else that, you know, makes chatty food unique to just the chatty people? Okay, that, that's a tricky question. Uh, fresher, yes, it's a good observation. I, it does take fresh. Um, I think they... they um, maybe they... Um, uh, it had something disruptive because... It looked uh, first glance like Malay food, but when you you taste it, uh, it was something else, and it was not Indian food as well. You know. See, it's not an easy question to answer at all. Sorry for putting you in the spot there, Eric. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, yes, Chetty food, like its people, has Malay and Indian influences for sure, and that is a beautiful thing. But that is to be expected. But for some reason. I was still holding on to this hope that I would find a special something that I could immediately point to and know for sure and say, now that is Chetty. During my visit to Kampong Chetty, I did ask a few other Chetties I met about this too, but no one could really pinpoint what it was about Chetty cuisine that made it unique. It was only when I spoke to Vanilla's in-laws Auntie Sita and Uncle Rajachan, that I began to realize something. Let's see if you come to the same realization too. Oh, and again, I have to warn you, the audio here is a little noisy at parts because I literally just brought my mic up to them while Vanilla's children were watching TV. So you might hear some sounds of the Powerpuff Girls running in the background. We are very keen in doing food by ourselves. It's natural, homemade, not from the shop, homemade. That's why we are great in that part, in cooking. That's why our food, the taste of our food is beautiful. Everything you can taste, you can see the taste, you can feel the sour, you can see the lemak. Okay, some translation help here for those who don't speak Malay. Basically, Auntie Sita and Uncle Rajachan were listing out all these ingredients they regularly use in their household. And they were telling me how they made certain dishes like pindang or some of their sambals. And all this echoes what Vanilla said. In fact, everyone I spoke to, Vanilla and Auntie Sita, Uncle Rajachan and even Eric, could tell me of all these ways the Chetis cooked their food, the ingredients that were used and the way their food tasted. And really it was through this repetition that it started to dawn on me that my quest in trying to define chetty food was quite a foolish one to begin with. Because in trying to find a simple definition to chetty food, I made the same mistake again. The mistake I first made in trying to get a neat definition for their people. Because like the chetty people, chetty food is really tricky to define. They draw from so many influences, they have Indian spices mixed in with local Malay ingredients, and even some Chinese cooking techniques thrown in. It's so mixed, so roger, that trying to fit their cuisine into some imaginary box I have in my head just wasn't the right thing to do. And with the Chetis marrying into other communities and bringing in other cultures into their folds, Chetty food will only continue to evolve and it'll be more and more difficult to put our finger on it. And really, maybe that is the point of Chetty food, that it continues to evolve. This was summed up really nicely by one of Vanilla's friends, Jiva. 
Jiva brought us on a walking tour around the village. And as we visited the temples and museum in their neighborhood, naturally, I directed the conversation to food. Majority, I would say is that our foods majority will have belacan. <laughs> we can't run away from that, belacan. We must have turmeric, the combination of the Indians, the turmeric, and also the santan. Santan is widely known used by the Malays. And also the peranakan. Yeah. So I think there are some other uh, foods like pulut tekan, you know, we share with the, with the peranakan community. I think it's because that we don't know who invented that. Maybe today the Chiti Melaka cook this. You look, today I cook this pulut tekan. It looks nice. Tomorrow they give the recipe to the peranakan Chinese yeah, yeah. and they do that. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just a travel within the community. Yeah. And one fine day, the, communi- the uh, peranakan Baba Nonya, they found something nice and they share the recipe with the Chiti Melaka. So the Chiti Melaka, so Melaka also cooked that. <laughs> so it's being shared. Hearing that, I just felt like it was quite a beautiful way of looking at food. Because the Chetis are not one to claim that they own a particular dish or that they created a way of cooking. Because to them, food is meant to be shared and exchanged. Just like how their predecessors were traders from India, their food is a result of trading and sharing. From the Indian traders and local Malays sharing their customs and traditions, to the Baba Nyonyas trading recipes of pulut tekan and onde onde, to Vanilla opening her home and sharing her food and heritage with anyone who's willing to listen. So, well, in the beginning, I thought I'd find a straightforward answer, a simple way to define Chetty food and their people. What I ended up learning was arguably more valuable. I learned how to think about other people's food. Because sometimes... It isn't really about signature dishes or special recipes. Not to say that the Chetis don't have that. Vanilla's spectacular sambal telo belimbing is a true example of a signature dish. But beyond that, food should be about the sharing and exchange of flavours and dishes, of stories and cultures. And with each generation, each combination of nations, each conversation we have, Food will always exchange hands and continue to morph and evolve, just like people. And maybe that is the real takeaway here, that we should look at food differently, beyond recipe highlights and signature dishes. Because as the world becomes more connected, as an exponential amount of subcultures and sub-cuisines form with each century, Our cuisines are only going to get more entangled with each other. And that is a beautiful, exciting thing. Okay, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't care about preserving and remembering what currently exists. Just take the Chetis, for example. With their numbers dwindling, it will be a real shame if they all forget their past. That's why people like Dr. Eric Omedo are trying to raise awareness about them. I think we need to create more awareness of, of this community, not only because of the cuisine, of course, the, the, the cuisine is, is a king, but uh, it's more broadly about their cultural heritage, which is very little known. And if we don't pay attention, then you know, they can disappear at the next generation, disappearing meaning uh, not physically, but being culturally assimilated. And we, we will lose a big share of our common heritage 
which is a part and parcel of the national history of Malaysia, you know, the, the historical uh, DNA. So, if listening to this has piqued your interest about Chetty food and its people, I left some links to resources on the show website, takeaboutpodcast.com. That's Bao spelled B-A-O. After all, it's impossible to cover all the different aspects of Chetty culture and food just from a single podcast episode. And really, I'll be the first to admit that we've only scratched the surface here. Also, if you're ever around the state of Malacca in Malaysia, do make a trip to Kampung Chetty. It's a really small place and you'll need to request for an invite, but the village and the people and the museum itself are treasure troves of Malaccan culture and history. And just to end, let's hear from Eric about what more we can do. Two things. One is, is to, um, to set up a kind of system of uh, responsible tourism for Kampong Chetty. Because, uh, as you know, Kampong Chetty is not immediately available when you, you go to the, the main tourist trail, you know, uh, Heron Street, Jonker Street, and so on. There's no mention of, uh, of a Chetty. So you have to be informed prior to that and drive purposely to uh, the Kampong by invitation. And, and then you, you can do a tour, you know, like we did. You go to the temple. There are, there are two temples. And one of them is probably the oldest Hindu temple in Malaysia. So it's worth um, a visitation. It's beautiful, simple and beautiful. And the second one, of course, is to, uh, to win people's heart of uh, uh, a culture through the food. And uh, that's how you gain people's heart, through the stomach. And um, that's usually what people remember, you know. Thank you for listening to Take A Bow. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. And also, if you can, do leave us a review. And just for kicks, I'm just going to read out our very first review by a certain Han PJ from the UK, who called the show The Radio Lab of Southeast Asian Food. That is crazy, crazy high praise, Han PJ. And I will do my very, very best to live up to that mantle. Thank you so, so much. Take a Bow is hosted and produced by me, Lo Ijun. Thank you, Dr. Eric Omedo, Wunila Nadarajan, and the countless other Chetty folk for being so warm and welcoming and for sharing your stories with this little food podcaster. Our album art is designed by Magdalene Wong. And finally, thanks also goes to Trisha Toh and Kelvin Goh for shooting the images for this episode. Our next episode will be out in a fortnight. Until then, this is Jun, bowing out. <laughs>